It's time for Talking Michigan Transportation, a podcast devoted to the conversations with people at the forefront of the ongoing mobility revolution. In the state that put the world on wheels, here's your host, MDOT Communications Director, Jeff Cranson. Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Talking Michigan Transportation podcast. I'm Jeff Cranson, Director of Communications at the Michigan Department of Transportation. And this week, I'm very pleased to have with me Ryan Mitchell, who is MDOT's Manager of Innovative Contracting, I guess Manager of the Innovative Contracting Unit at MDOT. Ryan, thanks for taking the time to do this. It's a pleasure to be on, Jeff. So let's uh, jump right into it and and talk first about uh, what your work entails. What does it mean to be the manager of this unit? Sure. Uh, So traditional delivery um, that um, MDOT has always utilized in its in its history where we um, evaluate scope design um, projects to 100% completion detailed design and then let those those plans for construction bids and um, contractor construction uh, the project um, has worked very well and um, obviously um, had a great deal of success with it but um, over the years, new contracting methods have um, de- been developed to, um, in some some instances, overlap phases of projects, um, adjust the timing of various phases of projects for more efficient and expedited delivery and different risk-sharing approaches as well. So we're going to get and into the, some of the specifics, um, especially the Sioux Locks project that you're heavily involved with, and then some of the other public-private partnerships. But um, when do you think, you know, we won't have to have an innovations unit per se because, you know, what we think of now our innovations are basically going to be mainstream in terms of contracting and delivery of projects? It's a good question, Jeff. So uh, many of the delivery models that may have been considered innovative 10 years ago, design build, for example, in transportation, in a transportation context, um, construction manager uh, at risk or construction manager, general contractor, um, CMAR or CMGC, those have become um, common practice at MDOT. And so I think it's fair to say that they are less innovative contracting methods and, and maybe referred instead as alternative contracting methods or alternative delivery models, Um, but I think there's always a need for an innovative contracting unit because today some of the innovations that we utilize um, are more um, spin-offs of traditional delivery, delivery. Um, and one example of that is we we now utilize alternative technical concepts, um, allowable deviations from specification and design. That may be proposed by a contractor. What does that um, What does that on, mean in, on, in, in you know <laughs> plain plain terms? So it's actually it's a design build technique, um, alternative technical concepts where bidders um, review the requirements and the the conceptual design of a project that is advertised for bid, and they propose an alternative um, to the requirement. And that's why it's called an alternative technical concept. It would be a deviation, but at MDOT's discretion, if it provides equal or better performance 
and value um, and or value, I should say, because sometimes in the instance of safety um, or schedule, um, value it has a different context than just pure cost. But um, alternative technical concepts then could be approved, maybe approved by, by the department and then allowed. So that, that is common practice in design build, but NDOT is now utilizing that aspect of design build on its design bid build projects or specifically to this point we've utilized it for maintenance of traffic on um, design bid build jobs where we're in busy uh, corridors and staging could be done a number of different ways or the maintenance of traffic um, could be done a number of different ways so that's just one example of how we've innovated um, from standard operating and there are n numerous examples of, of of different contracting methods that we utilize. I think um, it, it might be not. it might be news to people at all that transportation agencies think about how to maintain traffic and actually help people continue to get where they need to go, even when construction's going on. Yes, and that's one of the the reasons why um, MDOT is doing whatever they can to uh, increase the safety and the mobility of the traveling public um, in their construction zones. So let's talk about the thing that's that's consuming a lot of your time right now, and uh, and probably will for for quite some time. And that's the need for a new lock in Sault Ste. Marie. Um, a lot of people, a lot of people who've grown up in Michigan, have you know visited the Sioux locks. It's kind of one of the rites of passage in our childhood. Then our parents uh, take us there to see a, kind of a wonder of the world that happens to be in our state. But its economic impact isn't really known to all. I think that uh, we know the history and how important it was in the World War II effort to get raw materials to Detroit and other places where munitions were built. But right now, we're really at a, at a vital point in the need for redundancy as, uh, as the only lock that can serve the really big Lakers uh, is, is aging and doesn't have uh, redundancy. So before we really get into the contracting, talk about why it's so important and why I should care if I don't live anywhere near Sault Ste. Marie. Sure, sure. As you mentioned, it, it is a it is an economic um, and and homeland security wonder, and we're proud to have it in Michigan. And and as um, citizens of Michigan and, and of the United States, um, MDOT um, is supporting the Corps. Um, in evaluating the project uh, for its suitability for an alternative delivery model. Um, it's, a, it's early in the evaluation, but um, to your point, or I, to your question rather, um, the economic um, and homeland security implications of, of the lock um, are well documented. A recent Department of Homeland Security study um, anticipates that, that a catastrophic failure or an unexpected closure of any kind um, at the Polak would completely shut down um, Great Lakes steel production. 70% um, 70, 70 of iron ore used in North American steel mills uses, uh, it passes through the Polak, the single, again, uh, Polak that can accommodate the large Lakers. Um, and 75% of U.S. integrated steel production would cease if the, if the lock were unexpectedly closed. 80% of U.S. iron ore mining would cease. Um, 
approximately 100% of North American auto and transportation equipment manufacturing would cease um, within six months. 11 million job losses would occur in the U.S., plus more in Canada and Mexico, who also utilize and, and participate in the U.S. Uh, auto and transportation equipment manufacturing and other steel-related industries. And a $1.1 trillion decrease in gross domestic product um, and, and most certainly would probably lead to a recession. Just, so, just, again, just not having that lock alone could spur a recession. Correct. Within six months, correct. And you're, and not, so talking, again, you're not talking just in the Midwest. You're talking a, a nationwide recession. That's correct. Um, the, the, a failure of the Sioux locks would not be just a Michigan pro- problem, but an international problem. So national and international, obviously. So knowing that, and this goes beyond your realm of expertise in contracting, but because you have an interest in the history and the economic impact, um, why do you think this has been so hard, and why is this taking so long? It's a good question, and I was thinking about it, um, and 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 um, I think the locks and many infrastructure assets in the United States. Um, have become victims of their own success. I, 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 um, they perform so well and so quietly that I think we take them for granted. And I think that's the case for the, for the lock. It, it's um, been operating wonderfully for over half a century. And um, because it has not failed, um, I think it's been the strong silent type so to speak <laughs> it's just it's a victim of its own success we take it for granted um so there are many needs and funding at the national state local level is constrained and and there are a lot of project needs a lot of different assets need help and and you know the the entire network um that the core is responsible for um, all requires um, funding. So I think that's kind of a short answer, Jeff, that um, with so many needs in this asset continuing to perform, it, it tends to be uh, out of sight, out of mind type of problem. Well, so again, the, be- the benefit cost is, is indicates a huge importance and something that we really need to be taking uh, into account. Yeah, so innovative contracting to the rescue. Um, talk about how trying to look at things, you know, very creatively could help get this on track and, and get it to, to where it needs to be. So, um, again, uh, Michigan DOT uh, does not advocate for any particular delivery model. Um, what we do, and particularly in innovative contracting, what we do um, – is approach projects from um, evaluating the project attributes, um, the the cost, the complexity, the schedule, um, and the risk um, involved with the project. And we try to tailor an approach to delivery um, through analysis that is the most efficient model. And um, one of the things that innovative contracting or alternative contracting can do is accelerate projects, and frequently with very large projects that 
Um, often the funding is appropriated over many years. Accelerating that project can have a, a tremendous net benefit over time just by virtue of um, the, pr the project cost not escalating and not uh, continuing to, um, you know, the cost inflating. In addition to that, um, with long-term contracting methods, um, and, and P3 is often associated with a longer term, a maintenance operating maintenance uh, term, you get cost certainty for a long period of time over the term, which is also a benefit. Yeah, yeah. So they're not the answer to everything, uh, public-private partnerships, but um, it does sound like when you talk about the scale of a project and some of the other ones that MDOT has, has looked at, uh, the Sulox is is a, is a great candidate. Um, are you confident that because of of the work of the the department that this is going to help? Uh, I guess incentivize the federal government and others to to see this. You know, not only I mean, if they already recognize the economic benefit, we've got bipartisan support in Congress, but to also just see the viability of this contracting as a way to, to move it along? Well, there, there are, I will say, Jeff, there are many limitations, um, legal and practical, to a long-term contracting method on, on the suit. So I think a close look at the project, a careful evaluation of the project is, is a good approach, and that's what MDOT is supporting right now. And, in fact, the, the Corps is really looking, they're piloting, um, their P3 program, and they're evaluating several projects nationally to determine if P3 would be appropriate for a number of big civil projects nationally, uh, water resources projects. And, and part of that effort is to um, create new tools and new evaluation approaches for the Corps and hopefully create a structure, develop a, a structure that would allow them to utilize P3 contracting. Um, is the core a good P3 candidate? Or I mean, I'm sorry, is the SULAC a good P3 candidate project? Um, I think the analysis will tell that. It's too early to say that. Um, but again, I think there's limitations and there certainly could be advantages. To your point or to your question, I think your question is related to how MDOT might utilize P3s in the future. Why haven't they been um, more common? That's a looming question for all of us, knowing that P3s have been used with tremendous success in, in European countries and Australia and even in, in our neighbors in Canada. Why why have the states, why have folks in the U.S. been so so far behind? Why do we lag these other countries in employing P3s as, as a tool? It's a good question. And um, I think for the same reason that I mentioned with respect to the um, to the to the SULACs, our other infrastructure assets, the interstate highway system, for example, was championed, construct, designed, constructed, funded wholly in its initiation by the federal government. And it has served through its design life and beyond, and um, it requires <laughs> continued funding and revenue. And so I think uh, why has P3 been uh, maybe more widespread and more, I, I don't know that it's been more successful elsewhere, but um, I think it has been more widespread in other countries. I think because uh, 
the United States federal government has done such a good job of funding those infrastructure assets. But I think what's happening in our country right now is, is not a comeuppance, but maybe a, a useful design life renewal um, or a capital renewal cycle is coming to the forefront where our, our infrastructure assets are crumbling. Um, I've heard use, the word used, and we're coming to a point where if, if we don't increase the revenue that's coming in on these assets or is being uh, contributed to these assets and we don't um, find a way to fund them, then something else has got to be done. Yeah, so, so it's once again, uh, it's, it's necessity, breeding, invention, or innovation, really. I think so, and I think in other countries, uh, either the government was unwilling or unable to fund uh, this type of asset, and so they relied on the private sector to uh, and structured innovative contracting um, arrangements where the government got a, a wonderful well-performing asset back um, if it would allow the contractor or a private entity to um, have a little bit more control than would be typical. Sure. And so I think that's another reason why uh, it's a challenge to the traditional because it does involve more private sector influence on public projects. So let's talk about the other things that MDOT's doing in the in the P3 world. Um, freeway lighting, we were able to uh, restore uh, freeway lighting, which has long been a challenge in Metro Detroit, um, given the, the ongoing funding challenges. You know, you have to uh, rank some priorities when it comes to safety and the flow of traffic. And uh, But it was through a P3 that we were able to make great strides there. Um, you'd consider that one a success, right? Oh, absolutely. And and so um, the, the lighting deal is a wonderful example of where the, the there was no new funding or revenue needed um, because of an innovation um, actually fairly common in the vertical world where energy savings were used to accelerate a project delivery. So the old technology, much more... Um, um, much less efficient, rather. New lighting technology saves a tremendous amount of energy cost, and so that was a, a, a key element of the funding stream for this project. Uh, MDOT had previously programmed maintenance funding that um, contributed to the long-term payment of this contract. So um, you've probably seen an image of the former director, Steidel, being handed a check by DTE Energy, <laughs> and so uh, it's, a, it's a very wonderful example of, of innovation at work and how that can that efficient use of contracting can benefit everyone in the state. So yeah, uh, 15,000 existing fixtures in Macomb, Oakland, and Wayne counties were repaired or replaced. Um, the foundations were replaced, and so that was a long-standing issue that needed to be addressed. And now the, the maintenance um, of that entire network is being taken care of through this contract. So it's, it's a, a huge win for MDOT. Yeah, the, the, the ongoing maintenance is, is, a, is a key factor in this whole thing. And speaking of ongoing maintenance, that's also part of the P3 contract for a segment of I-75 that's being going to be rebuilt and modernized in, in Oakland County. Um, and that would be our biggest P3, the department's biggest P3 to date. Um, what are your what's your prognosis for that one? Well, it seems thus far to be a very successful partnership. 
um, the developer and that and our uh, region partners and, and um, some support by innovative contracting the project has begun and um, it's in design and preliminary preparation for for construction it's a very exciting project um, as you mentioned a, a big p3 project where um, five and a half miles of freeway construction um, 28 bridges will be replaced or rehabbed um, in a four mile 14 foot diameter stormwater detention tunnel 100 foot below grade will be constructed you probably know that there's a history of depressed freeway flooding issues on this corridor and so this this project will address much of that and uh efficiently do so yeah, and that's that's uh, that's huge in terms of the flow of traffic and being able to have some certainty in your commute and in the flow of commerce and goods. Yes, and, and uh, so it, the project was constructed very early in the interstate construction schedule, and it has not been um, renewed since its construction in the 60s. Yeah. No, so I think there's a long lot overdue. To, yeah, absolutely. Okay, Ryan. Well, hey, thanks for taking time to do this. I think that as uh, the Locks project continues, I'm going to want to have you on again to talk more about it at some point. But I really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely, Jeff. It's a pleasure. I enjoy the series and uh, glad to talk anytime. So thanks for listening to this episode of Talking Michigan Transportation. And feel free to share your thoughts and ideas or suggestions by email at m.michigan.gov. I'm eager for your feedback. That's a wrap for this edition of Talking Michigan Transportation. Check out show notes and more on SoundCloud or by subscribing on Apple Podcasts.